Welcome to Inner Peace to Go, your source for practical, proven strategies to reduce stress and make life easier. I'm your host, Sandy Cohen, and I am so glad you're here. Let's dig in. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Inner Peace to Go. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I want to share my own mental health journey. Because I feel like had I known, had I had the awareness that what I was dealing with was something I could get help for, I feel like maybe I could have gotten help so much sooner. So, and I also want to talk about medication because medication for me carried a lot of personal stigma. I had a lot of resistance to it and I'm having my own journey with medication that I want to share. So this is all, you know, I am not a mental health professional. I am a health journalist. I write and report a lot about mental health. I interview a lot of experts about it and I've read hundreds of books on psychology and neuroscience and spirituality and self-help, but I am not a licensed mental health professional. So this is just my own journey that I share in case it is helpful to you, in case, I mean, especially if it could make you feel less alone, because I was so terrified dealing with the matters of my own mind. I just, anyway, all right, so let's get into it. So as a kid, I was anxious, but I did not know that this was not like a normal thing. So every day I used to wait for my dad to get home from work. My mom was already home. She's a teacher. She was home in the afternoons, but my dad usually didn't get home till like dinner time. And I would stand at the window that where I could see the driveway of our house and wait for him to get home. And in my mind, I would like have all these terrible scenarios if he was you know, late, according to me, as like an eight-year-old, you know, Um, I had all these, these worries. So now as an adult, I can see that that was anxiety. But at the time, it was just like, well, it's just like a weird thing I do. And, you know, my mom didn't dismiss it. She was like, oh, don't worry, like, he'll be home and whatever. But that was something that I did, that I didn't have real perspective on until much later. So I had this low-grade anxiety going that's maybe just a part of the fabric of who I am. And as a college student and young adult, I very much derived my worth from my academic performance or professional performance, you know, after I graduated, and from attention from men or, you know, guys. I would describe myself as boy crazy. It certainly mattered a lot that guys thought I was cute and... And it mattered a lot that I did well in school or that I pleased my teachers, bosses, whoever. And part of my little recipe here was harshly criticizing myself for all of this. I criticized my appearance. I criticized my intellectual capacity. I just was super beat myself up on everything. And this is just how I lived. And I did not have any indication that this was not how everyone else felt too. You know, I like... This was just my internal landscape. And it's just like when you, you know, if you need glasses before you get glasses, you think everybody sees the way you do. You think you see like this is how people see. And then you get glasses and you're like, oh my God, it's so much clearer. So that's my perspective now on what my mental health was like. And so as a young person, as a young adult, that's when I started reading self-help books. I was so hard on myself, but I started reading books like the old classics. They were old classics even then, like Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, 
what smart women know. He's just not that into you. You know, these were the books that I read to kind of give me perspective, but I still was living from this harshly self-critical, derived value from outside myself kind of way. And then I got my really big job, which I've talked about before on this podcast. You know, I worked for the Associated Press and this was like my dream situation. Like I was writing for a really big audience. I was a national writer, but the work went international. It was a prestigious company. I mean, still is a very prestigious company, like the tip top of journalism. And I'd gone from a small newspaper, a small like municipal newspaper to this big journalism entity. And I was so stoked, but I was also so imposter syndrome-y, right? Like, oh my God, now I really have to do this job. Am I up to it? You know, did they make the right decision? And because of this pattern that I had of, you know, really deriving value from my external performances, I just gave everything to this job. I just gave everything to it. Like I would do research on my free time. I would kind of not see friends very often. I didn't see my family very often. I just gave everything, everything, everything to, to my work so that I could do well at it. And I did do really well at it. And, but I was exhausted. I was getting like really exhausted. So I remember going to my GP and I would have been in my early thirties and I went to my doctor and I said, Hey, you know, I'm like super exhausted all the time. Like I wake up exhausted And she said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to sleep eight hours a night, eat three meals a day, and exercise three times a week. And if you don't feel better in about a month, we'll put you on antidepressants. So I was like, okay. I was absolutely terrified. I was totally terrified of the idea of antidepressants. But I didn't really do what she said either. I maybe tried a little bit to get a little more exercise, but I still wasn't getting tons of sleep. I still would, you know, eat junk, plenty of junk. I was drinking wine very regularly. I was smoking tons of pot. And this was kind of how I survived the rhythm of my job and my mental state. And I had indications at this time, maybe a few years into that job that, you know what, maybe this job isn't for me. Like, It was covering entertainment, you know, it's so exciting and very glamorous. And I got to go to a lot of amazing events and meet a ton of celebrities and interview them. And, but something inside didn't feel like this is for me. Like, this is really cool and this is really fun, but this might not be like my source of meaning. So I was dealing with that too. So keep going. Eventually I had a major crash. I eventually just felt like I could not get out of bed. I was so tired. I needed and wanted to sleep all the time. I didn't want to do anything. And even doing ordinary things took so much out of me. And I just was wiped out, wiped out. It felt like I had the flu, but I had no fever. But I just had no energy. I had no gumption. I had no nothing And this is when I started to really get scared that what if something is wrong with my brain? Like, what if if my brain is messed up? And that, of course, was totally terrifying because my work was essentially intellectual work. You know, I was reporting and researching and writing and all I needed my brain for all that stuff. I mean, of course, we need our brain for every single thing we do. But 
I needed, I needed to know that my, my cognition, my brain was working properly. And when I couldn't get out of bed, I was like, I think, I think something's wrong with my brain. Cause I knew something wasn't wrong with my health. Like I didn't actually have the flu, but I felt so bad. So then I was like, I think I need to call a psychiatrist. Oh my God. I was so scared. You guys, I was so terrified, but I was also at the end of my rope. Like I didn't know what else to do. I had read all these books. I wasn't doing everything the book said, but I felt like I knew a lot. And why wasn't, why wasn't I okay? So I remember calling the psychiatrist, you know, like I looked it up in my insurance, like, okay, this guy's like in the neighborhood. And I called and I remember the receptionist said, you know, okay, well, he can see you in, you know, five days or whatever it was. And I hung up the phone and I cried because I was like, oh my God, I need to feel like this for at least five more days. Oh, it was so unbearable. I feel such compassion for myself then. Oh, oh, it was so at the, I was just so lost. So I went to the psychiatrist, a very nice man. And, you know, I, I just, I was, as I said, already, I was so lost and worried and freaked out and messed up that I was just like, I need whatever, whatever you can do for me. Like, I really, really need help. And he, within a very short time, diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder and, um, it's called major depressive disorder, but it's, you know, depression. So depression and anxiety. I told him how worried I was and, you know, about work and how self-critical I was about everything. And I couldn't get out of bed and I felt terrible. And, you know, I didn't, wasn't sure if this was the right job for me. And I told him all that stuff. So he told me to, you know, come back. He told me to go to therapy. And he gave me a prescription for Zoloft, 50 milligrams. And I started taking it. And I was terrified. I didn't even want to tell my friends. I was just, I just didn't know what to do. So anyway, I started taking it. And within a few weeks, I felt the clouds lift a little. I had a little more energy. It was a little easier to get through my my work day and like manage myself. Um, I still was smoking pot and drinking, but I just felt like, okay, right. My feet are beneath me. Like I, I can do stuff. I can move forward. And it took a few weeks to feel better, but then I really, you know, I noticed a difference. And we experimented with raising the dose to 100. That didn't work. So 50 was where I stayed. And it helped a lot over time because that medication plus therapy, plus sort of, I think, an internal realization. It's like, if shit has gotten this bad, like, dude, you need to do something to... <laughs> You need to do something to take care of yourself because your brain's gone wonky, girl. So that's when I really made an effort to really try to get more sleep. To I think the main thing I tried to do was just be sure to exercise every week, be sure to eat vegetables, be sure to do things that weren't work, like try to set better boundaries with work and try to, you know, un- unplug at certain times from work and I feel like the medication made that more possible because I was so depleted. I had no resources to draw from. And, you know, so many of the things that even that I talked with the therapist about were these really basic things, as I just said, sleep, exercise, spending time with friends, spending time with the pets, going outside, listening to music, spending time just chilling. And 
and I noticed a big, big difference. I felt much, much better. It took, it took a while, you know, it took, I mean, at least a year of therapy and incorporating these behaviors to really feel better. But I did, I started feeling really a lot better and it became easier for me to set boundaries. I think I became more invested in in myself, like finding my own internal value rather than attaching it so much to to my professional performance or to my relationship status. I started just, I had to give resources to myself because there was nothing there. Like I just, it, it had to happen. So Zoloft really, really, really helped me. And therapy, I mean, therapy really, really, really helped me. I had a wonderful therapist and I saw her, you know, every week at first and then every other week. And I did a lot of crying in there. I did a lot of exploration in there. You know, I've talked on the podcast before that she was like, you can't think your way into well-being. You can only act your way into well-being. And that was a big missing link for me because I had read so many books and stuff. And I felt like, oh, I know this stuff, but I wasn't always doing that stuff. Like I wasn't always truly trying to value myself or really setting aside the time to, you know, go for a walk or whatever. So that was very helpful. And I ultimately, if you've listened to podcasts before, you know, I ultimately left that job. I ultimately found the internal strength to say, you know what, this actually this isn't for me. Like this takes more out of me than I have to give um, for, for a variety of reasons that, that we could talk about some other time. But as fun as and glamorous and, you know, quote unquote important as it was, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be sustainable for me. I w- it was not going to, I was going to, I don't know. I, w- I wasn't finding the kind of satisfaction that I had hoped to find and that I ultimately finally believed I deserved to have like a satisfaction in life and to not have to relinquish everything for the sake of a professional appearance. So that brings us up to, to the last couple years. You know, I, with the help of medication therapy, my own personal practices to feel better and prioritizing myself and all that, I have improved so much, like feel so much better. And I am convinced that someone with the diagnosis that I had, have, and the circumstances that I have can feel better. Like I know we can feel better and we know about neuroplasticity. We know our brain can change. We can wire in new default thoughts and behaviors. I think the medication helped sort of lube up that, uh, those paths, you know, make that more possible. But then I wanted to get off the medication because it had been many, many years. I've done all this stuff. I've taken such good care of myself. I have all these good habits now. And my therapist was like, yeah, I think, I think you can get off of it, but getting off of antidepressants, depending on, I mean, I don't know, depending on your chemistry, how long you've been on them, whatever, like it is not easy. It takes time. So I probably should have done it with a psychiatrist because I know they can help titrate you down and they can offer you like liquid forms of the medication so that you can decrease the dose, you know, minutely. But I was just winging it. And what I tried to do was go from 50 to 25. And that actually was a pretty easy transition. I just switched it. Like I just started taking 25 instead of 50 
and it was pretty seamless. It was pretty fine. So I was like, okay, sweet. Now I'm going to go from 25 to 12 and a half. That was a lot harder. I couldn't sleep. I didn't feel right. I mostly because I couldn't sleep, but something felt like maybe the, maybe I was anxious again. I don't know. And I mentioned this to my GP that year for my physical. And she said, oh, well, if you notice that you can't sleep, you must still need the medication. So me, ever the diligent reporter, I did a bunch of research on this. And that's not necessarily the case. It's just that getting off of these antidepressants is a slow process. And we have, a, we have not a ton of research about it, particularly for those who have been on them for many years. So I would say I've been on the Zoloft for like 10 years, maybe more. And they're really meant to be used for more of a short term, like one, two, three years. So I've been on it a really long time. Anyway, I eventually got it down to 12 and a half by, by taking my regular dose, every, you know, for three days and then one day, 12 and a half and then regular, you know, the 25 and then one day, 12 and a half and did that for a while until I was doing two days in, a, in one, two and one, one and one till 12 and a half. So I've been on the 12 and a half now <laughs> for a long time, um, at least a year. And now I'm trying to get off of it completely. So I'm doing the same approach three days on one day off and then the one day off I'm taking nothing. So this is what I'm doing. I, so far I feel fine. I've been doing that for a few weeks of, you know, skipping every fourth day, I guess it is. And I just wanted to share this with you again, in case it's helpful, in case it makes you feel less alone. I don't feel like there's anything wrong with medication. Medication was a game changer lifesaver for me because it enabled me to make all these changes. But I also don't feel like I need to stay on it for life. I feel like because of the neuroplasticity, because our brains can change, because I've integrated so many healthy habits, because I finally left weed behind and quit drinking and all that stuff, like I'm in a way better mental place. And this mental place that I'm in now I don't think needs medication. So that's what I'm working on. And I just wanted to share it with you. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. And my, I guess my main message for, for you is if you feel like things are really super shitty, like you might be able to, be, there might be help for you. There might be, maybe it's medication, maybe it's not. Maybe it's, maybe it's therapy or something else. But you're worth checking. It's worth checking. And, and with time and stuff, I, I have felt it didn't actually take that long because I felt so much better. I felt like, oh my gosh, why do we have shame around this? Because the shame around it makes it harder for people to seek help. Cause you feel like how I felt like, oh my God, I don't want something to be wrong with my brain. And what does it say about me? If I need medicine, I'm so messed up and blah, blah, blah. Like that, that is not helping. What's helping is getting medical care for what is a medical condition. Like the brain is the most complex organ in our entire body. And if we can have things go wrong with our muscles or our, you know, pancreas or our liver, for sure you can have things go wrong with your brain. And if things go wrong with your muscles or pancreas or liver, nobody says, well, boy, are you a disaster. But if it goes wrong with our brain, we might, someone might say that to us or we might say that to ourselves. So your brain can heal. It's worth taking care of your brain. It's worth seeking medical help. You know, I hope it's available to you. I, I know that the therapists and stuff have been so booked up since the pandemic, but please try. 
and and please know you are not alone and there's nothing wrong with you and you can get better. It's like if you had a cut and eventually it had to heal, it didn't heal in one day, but then, you know, in a couple of weeks it it healed and and our brains can heal too. So I know, sorry, this is kind of rambly, but I just wanted to put it all out there and let you know you're not alone and let you know that there's help and medication may be really worth it and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you and and it also doesn't mean you have to stay on it forever. So that's what I got for you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I really love you. And I really, really hope that if you need anything, like reach out to me. If you want to talk about this, again, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I've walked this road and, and I, I'm happy to stand beside you too. So thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you again next week. Hey, if you want to keep the peaceful vibes going, get on my email list. I'd love to send you my free ebook, The Ultimate Stress Busters Guide, packed with actionable steps to bring on the chill. Plus, I'll send you more tips and inspiration every week. There's a link in the show notes, and I'll see you in your inbox.